Good morning and welcome. I want you to know how grateful I am to have the opportunity to stand before you this morning. It has been, for me, a long time coming. I was thinking not long ago, this is the longest that I have gone without preaching since I was in college. And I want to express my appreciation to each of you for your kindness and patience, for your words of encouragement, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the prayers that have been offered on my behalf. I'm thankful to the elders because they've been very patient and supportive during this, this time that I've been away and I have missed being here, I promise you. But I appreciate the elders. I also want to express appreciation to Donald and to Jared and Billy for stepping in and preaching and teaching in my absence. And it, to me, is a blessing to know that the church here never missed a beat. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And so I appreciate all of, the, all of the efforts that have been made to teach, to preach, and to keep things running so smoothly. In our study today, I want to call attention to a passage. <clears throat> it's not an obscure passage, and one that we have probably all read <clears throat> many, many times. And yet there is a sense in which sometimes we read passages of Scripture and maybe overlook their significance. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus asked what I believe to be a profound question. He asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In this one passage, I think Jesus is saying to all of us that the eternal soul that has been placed within us is of great, great value. Sadly, sometimes people treat their soul in a careless manner. So what I want us to do is to think for a moment or two about that which is more valuable than all the world, and it's the soul. Let's begin for just a moment or two by talking about the design of man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about the outward man and the inward man. Here we have a fit description of human life. We are composed of an outward man, a body, and then there is this inward man described as the soul or spirit in some passages of Scripture. 
What about this outward man that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Well, the Bible tells us that the body is a tabernacle, a tent, if you please, a temple. And housed within this body is the soul. Now, the body as we know it has been made from the dust of the earth. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 at verse 7 that God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life and he became a living soul. The Bible tells us that at death the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken according to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7. And so the body as we know it is a tabernacle, a tent. It is a dwelling place for the soul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, For we know that if the earthly tent or tabernacle be dissolved, that's the body. And the idea is that the body is wearing out, running down, decaying. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul talked about this outward man, he said the outward man is wearing out as opposed to the inward man that is being renewed day by day. Now the body, this tabernacle or tent, is bound by the limitations of time, isn't it? In other words, the body that our soul resides in is not meant to live on planet earth forever. But rather, this outward man is wearing out. It is subjected to time. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. You remember the psalmist in Psalm 90 at verse 10 said, for the days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength, he said, they're fourscore years. In other words, we may live to be 70 or 80 years of age. But he said, it is soon cut off and we fly away. Let me ask this question. What side of 70 or 80 are you on? The psalmist said, we may live to be 70. We might live to be 80. Our time here upon earth is accompanied by strength and sorrow and all the things that go with life. But he said it's soon cut off and we fly away. So in verse 12 he said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And the idea is to understand that we're not built to live here on planet earth forever. We have to understand that life here is intended to prepare us for the next life. So, there's the outward man, and then there is the inward man. What is it that sets us apart from the animal kingdom? In the animal world, animals, as you well know, they have a body, just as we. But we have 
a soul, a spirit residing within us that they do not possess. Now, the terms soul or spirit are sometimes used interchangeably in the scriptures. And what you have to understand is that the soul or spirit that resides within your biological body, that soul or spirit is intended to live forever. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 9 that God is the father of our spirit. We have been made, as Moses said in Genesis chapter 1, in the image and the likeness of God. What does that mean? Made in the image and likeness of God. Well, God is spirit, isn't he? According to John 4, verse 24. We have a body. God does not possess a physical body. But I think what Moses is saying here, one of the things that he is saying is that which is distinctive about the human family is that residing within us is that eternal aspect. In other words, we have a dimension, a soul, a spirit that will live forever. God is an eternal being, isn't he? So when we come into this world, we have a soul, a spirit, that's going to live forever. Death may invade the body and take the life of someone. And though that physical body may give way to death, man, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, goes to his long-awaited home. That is, man goes home. So, the soul is the inward man, as Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when Paul talked about the outward man perishing. He said the inward man is being renewed day by day. How's that possible? How's it possible for the physical body to grow older and become weak, our strength diminish? Our eyesight fail, our hearing lessen. How is it possible for the outward man to wear out but the inward man be strengthened? Well, to those who choose to live for God and to grow in grace with God, that inner man, that soul is prospering, is growing. You remember Gaius in 3 John when John wrote to Gaius? And he said, Beloved, I pray or wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The health of Gaius may have been in question. Monetarily speaking, he may not have had a lot, but John said his soul was prospering. So yes, the outward man can perish, but the inward man can grow stronger every day. So the soul lives on. Let me give you a couple of passages of scripture along these lines. In the book of Genesis in chapter 35, the Bible talks about Rachel. Of course, you know that she was married to Jacob. And she was traveling from, they were traveling from Bethany to Bethlehem. And Moses says that she was hard in labor. 
she would give birth to a child by the name of Benjamin. Her midwife told her, fear not, for you will have this son also. And then Moses said, for her soul was departing. She's in labor. And what Moses says parenthetically is, she died. That soul residing within the physical body departed. It left her. And then I think about in 1 Kings chapter 17. The story is told of a widow who had a son. Elijah had the opportunity to stay with her for a period of time and she provided for him. And the Bible tells us in that account that the widow's son died. And so she called upon Elijah for help. And Elijah took this child up to his room and stretched himself out over this child three times and prayed to God that his soul might come back to him. And the Bible says that God heard the voice of Elijah and his soul came back to him and he revived. So here you have the outward man, the body, and the soul pictured. Now in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, when Solomon talks about death, he said that the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken and the spirit to God who gave it. In James chapter 2 verse 26, here's what James said, underscoring this dimension of man. He said the body without the spirit is dead. So you have a body and a soul, an outward man and an inward man. Now let's talk for a minute about the destiny of man. I mentioned a moment ago that sometimes we may take for granted the fact that we have an eternal soul residing in our tabernacle, in our body, in our temple. And yet the Bible teaches us that this soul is of great value. I want to ask you a question. How much do you value your soul? We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but I want to begin by talking about the value of your soul to God. Because I think in order for us to appreciate the value of of our soul, we have to understand the great worth of the soul in the eyes of God. Now Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus here is saying this, your soul is worth more than all the world. What if, you, what if you owned everything in the state of Mississippi? In other words, every single piece of land, every business, every form of industry belonged to you. Would you be wealthy? 
you would be wealthy beyond belief. Did you know Jesus is saying that if you own the entire state of Mississippi, your soul is worth more than all of that? Let's expand upon that. What if you owned everything that this world has to offer? Lock, stock, and barrel. Everything belongs to you. You know, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So let's just say that hypothetically, ownership has been transferred into your hands. You own everything. Jesus is saying your soul is worth more than everything globally speaking. Now, that's hard for us to fathom, isn't it? It's hard for me to somehow wrap my mind around the fact that my soul is worth more than everything this world has to offer, materially speaking. There is nothing more valuable in the eyes of God than my eternal soul or than your eternal soul. Now, Jesus... He's trying to get us to think here. Do you remember the old balancing scales? What Jesus is saying is, if you were to put the world on one side and your soul on the other, your soul is so valuable that it would jettison the world out of this atmosphere. That's how valuable you are in the eyes of God. Let me try to illustrate it like this. There's a figure of speech called hyperbole. And it really entails an exaggeration. Think about it this way. Let, let's just imagine, and this is all hypothetical, let's just imagine that every single person on planet Earth lived in such a way so that they never defiled themselves with sin. In other words, their lives were above reproach. They lived sinlessly. That's hard to understand. It's hard to imagine. But again, just for the sake of illustration, every person that is living today, every person, has lived in such a way so that they're sinless with one exception. And that one exception is you. You're the exception. You have violated the law of God. You're a sinner. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel said the soul that sins, it shall surely die. I want to ask this question. If you were the only person on planet Earth, now we talk about the world today, some seven billion souls. How many people have ever, how many people do you think have lived upon planet Earth? Billions upon billions upon billions of people. So you've got all these people who have lived sinlessly upon Earth and you're the one exception. Would Jesus have come and lived and died on Calvary for you. Would he? Now think about that for a minute. You're the only sinner. 
No one else needs a Savior, but you do. Would Jesus have come and died for you? The answer is yes. He would have come for you and you alone. It's hard for us sometimes to put into perspective the value of our soul. Now we hear passages like John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, God commendeth his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we think about the world, the billions upon billions of people. And sometimes we get lost among those billions of people. And we forget the value of our soul. But what Jesus is saying is, your soul is more valuable than anything this world has to offer. There is not anything more valuable than your eternal soul. And so if you were the only person to have ever lived, if you were the only person to have ever violated the law of God, Jesus would have come and died for you. So what does that say about the value of your soul? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Now, we could very easily insert our name there and say that God spared not his own son, but gave him up for, and you can put your name there. Now, we ask the question, how valuable is your soul in the eyes of God? I want to ask this question now, how valuable is your soul to you. Because you see, how you treat your soul is going to say a lot about your destiny. I want to ask you a very pointed question. Where do you plan to spend eternity? I know what you're thinking. In your mind, you're thinking you're going to heaven. You're going to, you're going to live with God forever and ever and ever. And I pray God that's the case. But sometimes we live carelessly. Sometimes in our heart of hearts we have the idea that we'll somehow beat Father Time. That somehow we'll get things in order before the end comes. Well, it doesn't always work out like that. I know that what the Hebrew writer said is true. That it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this cometh the judgment. I understand we're all going to die unless Jesus comes first. Sometimes we have the idea that we'll somehow beat death. We'll get things in order before Jesus comes or before death intervenes. As I said a moment ago, it doesn't always work that way. So how much do you value your soul? Is your soul guided by the truth of God? And by that I mean, are you using this book as your roadmap, as your guide to get you home to God? The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The only book that I know that will safely direct your steps here upon planet earth to heaven is this book, God's word. It's the only book. The psalmist said he meditated on this book day and night in Psalm 1-2. 
So is your life, is your soul being guided by the truth of God? I want to ask you a second question. Is your soul guarded by the truth of God? You know, Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4 makes an interesting statement. He said, guard your heart with all diligence. Now, think about the soul. Is it not the case that we ought to guard our soul with all diligence, with vigilance? That we ought to recognize that housed within this body is an eternal soul that will live forever and ever? And what we want to do is make sure that we live in such a way so that we avoid anything that would taint or corrupt or destroy our eternal soul. And then a third question, is your soul grounded in the truth of God? When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, we're to teach them to observe all things. The process of living the Christian life is one of growth. Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to do is ground my life in God's holy word. Think about a foundation for a minute. Before people build a house, they pour a foundation, don't they? What, what the Bible is telling us is if we want a good foundation, we're going to build our lives on God's holy word. We're going to ground our lives in God's Word. So, how much do you value your soul? You say, well, I want to go to heaven. I understand that and I appreciate it. I want you to go to heaven. God wants you to go to heaven. But maybe you haven't obeyed the gospel. You believe Jesus is the Son of God. You'd tell your friends and neighbors, Jesus is the only way. But you personally have never repented, made the good confession, been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. I want to ask you a question. What are you waiting on? Why would you jeopardize your eternal soul? You say, I understand the worth of my soul. I understand the worth of my soul in the eyes of God. What would keep you from obeying the gospel? Family? Friends? The world? I mean, you tell me, what would prevent you from obeying the gospel? Maybe you're here today and you're not faithful to the Lord. And you've treated your soul carelessly. You know, sometimes we would do better to step back and think about the physical body. We put a lot of money and care into the physical body, don't we? We want to make sure our physical body is running A-OK. -okay. And sometimes we put more time and care into the physical body than we do into the inward man, the soul. So maybe you're here today and you're, you're a Christian. You've been baptized into Christ, but you're not living faithfully. Your life's not what it ought to be. Your life's not guided by the truth. You're not guarding your soul. You're not grounded in truth. Everything about you says your life's in disarray, spiritually speaking. 
Why would you live like that? Why would you live in danger like that? David said on one occasion, there is but a step between death and me. I've learned a lot of lessons in the last nine weeks. And there have been people that have been far worse off than, than I. But I've had a lot of time to reflect upon a lot of different things. And there are so many lessons that have flooded my mind. And one of the most profound things that I have learned in the last nine weeks is this. You can be healthy as a horse one day and flat on your back the next. You may think you're Superman, but you're not. Life can change so quickly. When I look back over the events of this past year and I think about some of the things that have happened, I can tell you, life can turn on a dime. Don't play with fire. Don't lose your soul. Your soul is worth more than anything this world has to offer. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, would you not do what some 3,000 people did on Pentecost when they repented of their sins and were baptized into Christ? And the Bible says God added them to the church, Acts 2, 47. If you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be, and I have no doubt there are some here today whose life is not what it ought to be. You've been baptized, but your life's not what it ought to be. Could I encourage you, think about your soul. Live so that one day you'll be with God. Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. One day for the faithful child of God, the soul will depart upward to be with God. If you're unfaithful, I encourage you, come home as we stand and sing.